0: This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went, tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor, man. All right, guys. Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. I got Chris Miles on the line again. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, how's it going, Lane?
0: Thanks for coming on again. Chris writes on the moneyripples.com site. He's got his own podcast. He was previously on the podcast talking about more general real estate and investing advice. Chris, you're like the only uh, real estate financial planner that I actually enjoy talking to. Most of your <laughs> cohort are sleazy salespeople who just get paid on commission. Right, that's true. And, um, you seem to have a good grasp on how to use these tools in the toolbox. So today we're gonna to talk about insurance. What is all these some of these techniques that all these Uber rich families are using? Insurance we think of securing your family when in a case of death, but I've always heard of these interesting techniques and I wanted to kinda of dig in with Chris today. A lot of people have been asking about this one, Chris. So I guess to us, maybe tell us first tell us a little about the history on how did this stuff come about and you know, what were the evolutions of it and maybe kind of take us to where we are today.
1: So this is one of the topics that, you know, when it comes to life insurance, you know, I tell a lot of my clients when they come in like this is one of the places I'm a snob on because usually I refer out and farm out everything and, and even with life insurance I do too. Uh, you know, for example, I'm not an accountant but I do have great tax, you know, tax advisors there and, and they're awesome and so that's one of the things I'm snobby about is having the right accountant but I'm also pretty snobby about the life insurance conversation because the reality is where I'm kind of more of an anti-financial advisor. Most people I see when they're they're talking about life insurance, they're teaching it from a very, really just more of a what's the next coolest, latest and greatest tool, right? And they're all kind of, I don't know, they seem transparent to me in the sense that most people's perspectives on life insurance and how to use it is totally not even close to using it the way it should be. And, uh, you know, you talk about the history of life insurance. I mean, there's different types. I mean, really, if you talk about two main types, there's term insurance and there's permanent insurance, also known as whole life even in universal life and those kind of things is really a version of term insurance. But if you're looking at the two types, it's really term or whole life. Term is actually something that came more recent. Whole life's been around forever. I mean, the hundreds of years they've had companies doing whole life insurance where you pay the same premium for your entire life, nothing changes. It's kind of like getting a mortgage payment for 30 years. Same sort of deal, like rather than renting where the rent will go up on you with inflation, with a mortgage payment, it's kind of cool because at least you lock it in on a single payment. And even when inflation goes up, your payment doesn't. So it actually gets cheaper over time.
0: That's very similar to like what you're offered at work, you know, and that's what you piggyback on top of that to augment that, that term life insurance.
1: Right, right. Yeah, usually work will just give you term insurance. That came out in the late 70s because people said, hey, here's a cool concept. What if you just got plain old insurance that, you know, ends and then we just go and invest the difference, right? And that became really popular in the late 70s and 1980s with a company called A.L. Williams was the company back then. And they made that popular. Up till then, like, buying term insurance was not a popular thing to do because people thought that was a waste of money. People started thinking like, oh wait, if I buy cheap life insurance, then I just take whatever money I would have saved anyways and go invest it, maybe I can make more money on my own. Um, and that's where like universal life came from. Universal life got popular in the eighties because people said, wait, I think we can, you know, this is where insurance companies decided to bank on things that people wanted. Uh, one of the things people said is, well, what if I could, have it in one product. So rather, so insurance companies thought they were losing money because if they just did term insurance, which people do, and term insurance, by the way, for insurance companies is the most profitable thing you could possibly do. Depending on which company you talk to, the payout of death claims on term life insurance is only like one half of 1% to about 1% max. So usually they don't see more than 1% of those policies ever pay out, meaning it's like pure profit for them and it's cheap. So people, consumers like it more. So you always see people advertising term insurance. Like that's the big thing they'll always advertise and put money into because that's their big money maker. But they sort of realized that people were, were they didn't capture as much money as they wanted, right? Because people were buying cheap term insurance and then investing elsewhere. So that's when they thought, well, maybe we, uh, we do those kind of investments, put it all in one thing. And that's where universal life came from. It's basically term insurance. It's kind of like the difference between a Toyota Camry and a Lexus. They're the same exact car, you just pay twice as much for a Lexus, right? That's what Universal Life is. It's the Lexus. And it's basically term insurance, but then you have a savings component on top of it, and uh and that's where Universal Life kicked in. You know, that's where it came into play more. So now people could actually save money with that term insurance, and then whatever above and beyond the insurance cost and the commissions and everything else, that would go into their cash that you could use and pull out tax free. And uh it used to be until nineteen eighty eight, it actually used to be you could put in as much as you wanted. So a guy like Bill Gates could go get a $100,000 life insurance policy and stuff it full up to however much he wanted. But when the government caught on that the earth, uber wealthy were taking that money and just stuffing it and storing away, even with whole life, it was the same thing. It was around back then, too. People were stuffing tons of money in um, and getting small policies. And so the government said, okay, people are hiding too much money from taxes, Let's instead, you know, let's make some limits here. So now uh, there are some limits where how much you can put in. But for the most part, I've never seen anybody who can qualify for insurance. For the most part, they usually can't put in enough to go beyond those limits too often.
0: All right. Whenever the feds try and cut something off, whether it be drugs or uh, 401Ks or something, it's probably something good, like Fannie Mae loans. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, life insurance, I mean, that's the thing. Here's the thing. Most people, if you think of politicians, right, They most of them make at least a couple hundred grand a year in their positions, especially the, the na- nationwide ones, like the Senate and the the House of Representatives in the national level, um, not like your local leaders, right? Most of them are going to be making at least a couple hundred thousand a year. They technically cannot qualify to put money in 401Ks and IRAs. Now, don't you think that's kind of funny that they're actually not putting money in those programs, but they're putting money into things like life insurance? And the, the crazy thing is, too, is that, I mean, anybody, I mean, really anyone who can put away at least a few hundred dollars a month can afford to do some sort of life insurance like this and do some of these strategies we're going to be talking about. It's not just for the wealthy, but up until, especially even up until now. People have been primarily the wealthy, been using that to their advantage. I mean, even banks, banks actually buy life insurance on their key employees and then use that to help boost up pensions like when there used to be pensions or even just boost up their own reserves. So, uh, for example, I remember Washington Mutual, if you remember them, I mean, that bank, they actually, in during the Great Recession, put away over 40% of their money into life insurance and stored the cash there, buying policies on different people key employees and things like that. And then they're saving the money in there, getting the tax breaks and all the nice returns, the guaranteed returns and things like that. Wells Fargo was about 25% during the Great Recession. So when everybody was like losing money, banks like them, were the ones that lasted, were stuffing their money in safe places like this. And of course, they know they can get a certain amount of tax sheltering too. And that's the cool thing we all get. And the reason why is a tax shelter, I mean, the Roth IRAs and life insurance are taxed almost the same way. But the difference is that with life insurance, whenever they pay you, quote-unquote, dividends, they're not taxable because they're, they're classified as, as like you getting a return on your premium. So it's almost like when you get a rebate where you overpay on your insurance, they can pay you that rebate. But life insurance companies have set it up to where they just put it back into your cash, into your cash account. So you're actually getting paid tax-free money. So you can build it, you can put it away and build it tax-free. And if you do it right, if you're not surpassing the limits and things like that, you can pull it out tax-free as well because it's part of your death benefit and, de- and life insurance death benefits are are tax-free. So that's why it's tax-free and, and it really it's much like a Roth IRA, but the difference is there's no limits where Roth IRA will say, nope, you know, you're not old enough to put away more than $6,000 a year, so this is what you have to do. Where life insurance, you could put away tens of thousands of dollars a year, save on those taxes. There's no worry about income limits because of the Roth IRAs and, and IRAs and 401ks. If you make too much money, you can't save on them they won't let you, or if you do, you actually won't get all the tax managers they, they proclaim. And then, uh, and then with the life insurance, you can put away as much as you want, as little as you want. You can, uh, again, tax benefits, but even cooler, this is my favorite part, you can access that money before you're 59 and a half, so you don't have to wait till whatever retirement age the government decides. Because the thing is, a 401Ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, they can change the rules at any time. But with life insurance, you have a contract, and whatever those rules are, they stay in place. Remember I mentioned where people could stuff as much money as they wanted up until nineteen eighty eight. They still can. The ones that still have those policies still can stuff in as much as they want. They're not bound by the other rules that came out later when IRS said, Okay We'll give you some breaks, but not all the breaks that you guys are taking advantage of.
0: Yeah, this is good stuff. You know, I always try and empower people with the information so they can make decisions on their own. Like, I mean, the 401ks and the Roths are great, but, you know, a lot of people at my age, I tell them don't screw around with that stuff because, I mean, we're younger. We're going to retire before we're well before 45 or even 40. So we don't want to lock our money up. Yeah. This life insurance thing is pretty intriguing. So I, I go ahead. I put my money in one of these term universal or which which one again would be the most optimal one you know i i usually recommend my
1: clients do either whole life or term life like I, universal life i stay away from and the only reason is is this is that you know i mentioned it's basically term insurance chassis but it's, it's got a cash savings component um, even though there's people out there that like equity index life or all these other things and by the way i used to sell that stuff like 15 years ago that's where i started selling was universal life i will tell you i, I studied it more than most agents did there's so many moving parts and there's so many expenses that most people, when they get to be in their 50s and 60s, their their accounts aren't growing that much, if at all, by that point. Because now the costs inside of it are going up. Or like with Whole Life, for example, there's a lot of upfront costs in the first year or two. But after that, the costs go down to the point where it's almost like a, a strict savings account at that point. So I, I really encourage people to... Stay away from universal life just because there's so many moving parts. It doesn't pay as well as they always keep proclaiming it does. Uh, And that's just because, you know, I I knew all the sales tactics that those insurance companies were promoting. Most of those policies don't stay in force either. So, again, it's more profit to the company. I would rather have something that gives me profit, not the company. So that's where I encourage my clients: is either term insurance, you know, if you're just trying to get good cash flow that converts to whole life, or whole life, or a combination of the two is what I usually have people do.
0: So let's get a little granular here. Let's just think of an avatar here that, you know, they've got a good good profession and they're, you know, they're able to save at least fifty, fifty thousand dollars, you know, after expenses. What what are we recommending here to put that fifty grand into, you know, if Maybe we're not recommending, but if they put all 50 grand into an insurance, now is that tax or is it lower their AGI or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so it, it doesn't actually affect anything with their AGI, with their their gross income. What happens is is that when you put money into life insurance it's after tax dollars. So just like a Roth IRA, it's not a tax deduction on your taxes. Which by the way, I really don't want. You know, if if I'm in a situation where I plan and I intend to be better off financially or be at least as well off as I am today, as I am in retirement, I want to make sure that I'm not paying taxes in the future. Because here's the thing, Lane. I mean, do you think taxes are going to go up or down in the future?
0: Probably going to go up.
1: Probably. I mean, none of us know for sure. But if you look at the last just over 100 years now, you know, 1914 was the first tax year that we had. I mean, When the federal income tax started, it was like the top bracket was 8%. Like that was like the biggest bracket, you know, and that was for like mega millionaires like in today's day it would be like mega millionaires right now (laughs) the lowest one was one percent you know when they did that for try to fund world war one and then they just didn't take it away they just kept it going right even now we're at we're actually one of the lowest tax brackets we've been in history in the last hundred plus years so the likelihood especially with all the government programs that people never want to get rid of you know, it seems like we're paying for more and more stuff like Obamacare and everything else. Most likely taxes are going to go up. But here's the thing. Even if taxes didn't go up in the future, the thing is I can guarantee you're still probably going to pay more taxes if you're going to retire in more than five or ten years. And the reason being is because of inflation. Because even if tax brackets stayed the same, the thing is that you're going to have to start living on more and more money because things get more and more expensive over time, right? It's kind of like a, I use the example of my dad. My dad, you know, he's, you know, he's in his 70s right now. Back when he was 19 years old in 1963, my grandfather actually set up a life insurance policy on him for a whopping $50,000. So a $50,000 death benefit, right? Now, Lane, would you say that's a lot of money, or is that pretty crappy now?
0: That's uh I don't know what that would buy him. Maybe he can he can live off forever, <laughs> but it's not a great lifestyle.
1: <laughs> yeah, not much, right? I mean, and so so he bought him a $50,000 whole life policy, but you know, here's what people say, like. Like, well, that's not much at all. Well, yeah, but back in 1963, if you factor in inflation, that would be the same as giving a 19-year-old kid, a single kid, a $750,000 life insurance policy, which most people would say, oh, that's crazy. Why would you give a single 19-year-old $750,000? Well, for the same reason that my dad got $50,000 and my grandpa just happened to have a little foresight. The inflation is going to kick the crap out of us. And it already has, especially as they're printing more and more money, right? And so when we factor in inflation, even if tax rates stay the same, the thing is you're going to have to live on more and more money as you get older just to survive. And therefore, you have to pull out more money. And the last thing you want to put your money in is like an IRA or a 401k where you're going to have to pay tax on it on those days. In fact, the government is banking on you delaying your taxes till you have to pay more in taxes. They know that. That's why they're giving you the tax advantages now because they know, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go by. And especially if the baby boomers start to retire now, they're starting to already see this. You know, a lot of them were putting only a few hundred bucks a month away at most, you know, and they're told hundred bucks a month for 40 years and you get to retire with a millionaire and now they're like, oh, I've got like 150,000. That sucks. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's where you gotta, you gotta factor in. So if you're going to pay on anything, if you're going to pay tax, I'd rather pay tax now, like put the after tax dollars in to then never pay tax again. You know, so basically like if I gonna pay tax, I'll pay tax today. I'll pay on the lower amount today. Um, so that's that's a big thing. So if somebody's got like an extra $50,000 a year they can put away, one, they can never put that in a 401k. And I probably wouldn't recommend they put any in a 401k because even with the match, the match really doesn't give you that great of return, especially when you consider fees, taxes, and everything else. Your match might barely pay those in reality. The thing is people say, well, I get 100% rate of return on my match. Yeah, that's simple interest, but that's not compounding. And uh, when you factor in the numbers, you're like, oh, that 3% match really only increased my rate of return over 30 years, like 3%, whoop-de-doo. That's not big. You know, I'd rather get tax-free money, which is a bigger return.
0: I made that same conceptually. I mean, I cashed on my 401k and Roth because I figure I could grow my money way, way faster, probably about three times as fast as the stock market did if it did indeed grow, even with the company match. I think I was at like 100% match for 6% or something like that. And I just chugged yeah. the numbers and I thought for myself, then that's what I did.
1: Yeah, the way they're way the matching, they're they're taking more and more away nowadays than they, they had before. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, when I started doing financial planning, it was very common to see a 100% match. Nowadays, you rarely ever see someone get a full 100% match. Or they'll say, well, only up to 3%, but then after that, just a 50% match or something like that. Most companies won't match that much anyways. And if they change the rules... Oh, well, you have to change with it. But with life insurance, especially with whole life, for example, whole life can usually return pretty close to stock market returns when you factor in the real rates of return. Um, They usually are pretty comparable, even with the match. And so, but the difference is, like you said, is you'd rather do something with your money. So the the difference is the 401k, you lock it away. It's stuck. It's stuck with your employer until you either quit or change jobs. And then if you try to touch it, you have a 10% penalty plus taxes if you're not almost 60 years old. So that kind of seems lame especially when you're getting penalized for touching your own money. Instead, have that flexibility to be able to invest today, to create cash flow today, and that's the big difference. And so even even if you have someone who's a life insurance agent that's telling you, hey, whole life's a great deal, and they might even tell you about the banking philosophy, which is doing kind of what we're talking about, which is stuffing in more money, uh, making it compound and grow faster so that the costs aren't that big. By the way, you can actually cut the commissions of an insurance agent, and I usually have my clients cut up in half, but my insurance guy actually likes that. Because he knows they'll put in more money anyways, and they'll make more and they stick around, and therefore he makes more money in the end. But most insurance agents don't like that. And even if they agree to it, the thing is most of them think that somehow you're going to make all your money and get rich off life insurance and somehow retire, and that's bull crap too. Because there is no, I promise you, there is no financial product, 401Ks, IRAs, life insurance, nothing like that, annuities, you name it. There is no financial product that will be able to beat inflation and give you just enough return. By putting away just a matter of hundreds of dollars a month, or even fifty thousand a year, I tell people if you want to, if you have a twenty-five year retirement goal and you want to have a sixty thousand dollar a year lifestyle, you're gonna to have to put away about ten thousand dollars a month to have at a six percent rate of return to be able to match that kind of actual lifestyle that they recommend from a traditional standpoint. Trying to save into a product isn't gonna work by itself, but what a life insurance policy lets you do is you can flow money in and out, and that's where the real magic happens. Is that money can then be put in. Yes, you can grow it tax-deferred tax and, and pull it out tax-free when you do it right. When you pull it out, rather than letting it grow and compound and save forever, which won't work, you won't save enough to do that, instead use that money elsewhere. Uh, many times you get business owners, they might put it into their business and make more money there. If someone's working a corporate job, like you were saying, and they say, hey, I've got this extra 50000 a year, what do I do with it? Then we say, great, let's flow that money, let's flow it through life insurance where you can make money there, and then you can borrow from the policy And when you borrow, that means your full amount of money is still compounding as if it did, because it's still in there. You're just borrowing from the life insurance company like it's a line of credit. You borrow from them. So that's
0: continuing to make, what, like an 8% or something like that in there?
1: You're talking about the rate of return that they make compounding?
0: Yeah, put it in, it's making, I mean, what is what is it making in
1: there? I mean, most of the time, like at least the rates they're paying right now, and if you set up kind of like the way that, that I have my guy do it, we, we found a kind of a nice balance to get the optimal return, but still get um, maximum flexibility and death benefit too, because you do need the death benefit to do some cool things later on as well. But usually, for, I, I tell people four, four and a half, five percent tax-free returns is pretty typical, which if you factor in tax-free, that's almost like getting seven, eight percent in your 401k. And in the, that's assuming current tax rates, right? Yeah, and, that's, and by the way, most 401ks usually only average 5 to 6% like after, after you factor in fees and such. And that's the real rate of return of a 401k is 5 to 6% max, at least in the last 30 years. So anyways, uh, so yeah, okay. that's where I say like, you know, and then you factor in taxes, you're likely to make 4 to 5% in <laughs> a 401k. So that's where I say, if anything, you might break even and possibly even beat when you use life insurance. But the big thing is that you got flexibility. Even if they did the same, the key is the flexibility so yeah the money's growing there but if you borrow it then you can go say you do real estate with that you can go put money on properties and i've had clients do this where you know, for example I, this last week i had a client where she actually bought four properties she closed on all four at the same time these properties she only had to use about a hundred and i think it was 125,000 something like that 126,000. but those properties are going to net her about after expenses Property management fees and everything. She's netting about seventeen to eighteen hundred dollars a month. That's over twenty grand a year. She's making from like one hundred twenty grand. I mean, that's pretty dang good. And that's not including tax advantages that she's getting, So she's getting a lot more write-offs now. That doesn't include any appreciation or the fact that her renters are now paying down her mortgage, building more equity. So regardless of equity, regardless of anything, just the cash flow that she sees month after month. You know, she's making. Pretty darn close to about a 17 18% cash on cash rate of return. You know, now it always varies, of course, right? But think about this. She's now making a return from that. The money that flows through the life insurance, they're making money there and making money with the real estate because that same money is being making money twice because you're using that money twice, right? Now you're making more. And the thing is, that again, like she can, you know, build equity and all that kind of stuff. We can sell properties later on, buy more. That's the cool thing that you can do. And you really can't do that with a 401k. I mean, you do if you can quit your job, if you feel comfortable just quitting and then just cash out your 401k because you can use a 401k or IRA to then roll over to a self-directed and start doing real estate. But a life insurance, you don't have to ask for permission. It's your money. And the cool thing is, again, like if you're doing it right, you don't have to worry about taxes on that money. So it's growing tax free and you're able to use it today to make more money and basically make money in two places or more at once. That's the power of it.
0: When you take that money out of that insurance policy and you go buy a property, is it, is that kind of essentially like, you know, having a self-directed IRA custodian? Everything that's within that file is not taxed. Is that how it works?
1: With the life insurance? Yeah. I mean, all that money, because you already put in after-tax dollars, so it doesn't get taxed for that reason because it has the same rules as a Roth IRA. But the difference is that when it grows, when they pay you dividends, they classify it as a return of premium. So just like when you get a rebate, a rebate check from an insurance company, uh, for overpaying or escrow payment or something like that, you don't get tax on that money. It doesn't count as income. So that's how they're able to bypass all that stuff is that they just classify it as return or premium. And don't worry, the government totally knows it. And they, in fact, they're the ones that created it. So it was congressmen that made those laws, those tax laws that apply to life insurance companies and and life insurance proceeds. So yeah, I mean, and then if you're using that money, then putting that towards real estate or whatever else, and you're you know doing the same thing with real estate, you can even get some tax advantages there. I mean, the cool thing is you're bypassing taxes like crazy, but you're also cash flowing today. So your retirement actually becomes something. And I think that's what's awesome is that think about what people have to do normally. I mean, most people would have to save a million bucks to then have a financial advisor say, good, now you can pull off two to 3% a year. So at the high end, $30,000 a year, right? That's 2,500 bucks a month as long as you save up a million bucks. But just like I, I used the example of this woman last week, she bought four properties plus she actually took another 100 grand and she's making like a, a guaranteed 5% return where they're paying her monthly. So a $416 a month check on top of her like 1800 She's making like over 2200 a month with like 220 grand. So she's making almost as much as a financial advisor would tell you with a million bucks, but she's doing it with like a quarter of the money. And even if she got up to the point where it was equal, doing the same kind of returns, she does it with a third of the money. And she's getting that cash flow today. She doesn't have to wait until she's retired to do it. And now she's like saying, Cool, next year I think I'm gonna go to Bali, Chris. I'm gonna live in Bali for six months. And whether she makes money in her business, she doesn't care. She's like she's set. <laughs> so it's pretty you know, with everything else that she has coming in income wise. And that's the beauty of it. It's like you can really create awesome awesome results just by leveraging your money differently, doing things outside of the box. And uh, and I'll tell you, like, even even some insurance life insurance people, everyone I've met, I mean, almost all of them, they, they get this, they understand it, but they don't want to teach it because they're always fighting for your dollars. And this is why I don't sell life insurance anymore. This is why I refer it out because if I'm strategizing with somebody, I don't want them to think, oh, well, you know, I put more money in my policy because that's how I make commissions. I don't do that. I'm like, no, you... You know, you hire me as a consultant and then, uh, you know, I connect you to the right people. We strategize this and make sure that it works in your benefit, that it works in yourself and just not in somebody else's or it's just fat in their pockets. It's like, no, you can make money too.
0: All right. Yeah. This is very intriguing. And I got, I got two more questions before I'm ready to wire my money for you to set me up with this. <laughs> so you want the easy question or you want the hard question? Yep. You know, lay it on me.
1: I don't care. Give it to me. All
0: right. The biggie. So say I have, I've got all this money in my life insurance policy and I take out, uh, $30,000 to buy a property. Am I able to leverage that money in non-recourse debt or recourse debt like a Fannie Mae loan? You know, this is my big tip with, uh, Roth IRAs. You can't leverage these things. You can. But it's just like really junk, non-recourse loan, 50% 50 LTV. Right. That's why I always tell people if you're going to self-direct the Roth IRA, it's best used in a syndication because you don't leverage. You just buy stocks in a large apartment complex or something like that. Right.
1: Yeah, non-recourse loans are more with like self-directed IRAs and whatnot. And and actually, I've seen a real estate guy recently where he's been able to not have to put 50% down with an IRA. They've still been doing 20% if it's your first four properties, you know, 25 thereafter. Um, They've been able to to get around that recently, which has been cool. I was trying to think with the life insurance, though, if there was any situation where you would have to deal with that. But no, I mean, it's life insurance because it's just cash. It's almost like pulling money out of savings. There's really no difference with with whole life versus savings. In fact, when I used to do mortgages up until about 10 years ago, I remember doing the application and they would have liquid assets and non-liquid assets. And uh, and they would they would separate them because they want to know, like, the non-liquid assets. Do you have any of those? You have IRAs and 401Ks, you know, money that you really can't touch or you have a harder time accessing or equity and properties, things like that. But then when they asked for liquid assets, you know, the money that they really cared about on the mortgage lab application, it was savings accounts, money markets, some CDs, and then life insurance, cash value. And so they view it as, as the same as being cash or savings. So no, I mean the great thing is when you're losing life insurance, you can use it just like I mean, you put down the typical payment, you know, twenty percent down for investment property up to your first four and then twenty five percent thereafter and so on.
0: Yeah, no, I I I think you're right there. if if anything you might run into seasoning issues, you might have to have those funds sitting in your checking or savings account for six months or whatever, but you can kind of fudge yeah. that as you go along.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, technically, if you have, depending on the company, the insurance company you use, I mean, they might let you borrow it out within the first month. Um, there are some companies that allow that. I usually tell people like not to put it in and immediately borrow it out because, I mean, you you only make your dividend payment on the life insurance after the first year anniversary. So I try to get people to keep it in there for a few months, so that at least the dividends pay out sooner than later. Because you're, you know, when you borrow the money, you do pay interest. You just don't pay as much interest as what it compounds to be. So that's the the difference there. Yeah, I mean, I I'm trying to think of a situation. I mean, you, you technically can't put IRA money into a life insurance policy, anyways. They don't let you do that. So no, you're not going to run into that situation at all with life insurance.
0: I'm a big proponent of leverage here. I mean, if you're not going to use leverage, you might as well go into a syndication uh, with your cash. And so, like, let's just walk through this. So if I put in thirty thousand dollars and I buy some turnkey home that's a hundred grand with my life insurance money, go out and get a loan. The government will say, I mean, we're not going to run into any like the uh, UBIT or UDFI tax. You know, like how when you get a non loan. Yeah, not for borrowing loan.
1: money. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, when you get a loan, any loan, you're not going to get taxed on it.
0: Because when a self-directed IRA, you're not going to get taxed on the self-directed IRA portion. But if you're going to leverage that thing, 50% of that, if, you know, if you're using 50% leverage, mm-hmm. that 50% of that will be subject to unrelated business tax. Right. Is my right. understanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you can borrow up to 50% of it, and yeah.
0: So the 50% that you came from the self-directed IRA will be not taxed. And that's cool but the other part the government's gonna be like no 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 we're gonna tax that because you went and financed that and Mm -hmm. we're gonna come and tax that so that's what i'm wondering what's going on here with this thing
1: yeah like 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 when you borrow from a 401k for example i mean this is where i tell people are like oh i just borrow from 401k same thing right like no it's not because you know for example especially with a 401k or an ira i mean you're putting in pre-tax dollars so when you yeah you borrow the money and you're not paying tax on that However, when you put the money back in, because they do require you to pay it back in, when you put it back in, you're using after-tax dollars. So you've actually lost the tax benefit of that money. So, so yeah, you don't pay taxes on the borrowed money, but then when you put it back in, you're putting it with after-tax dollars. And then when you actually use that money again, you're getting taxed again. So when you borrow money from like an IRA or 401k, it's almost like double taxation when you think about it from that standpoint – so usually if I, if people do do that, I usually have to say, okay, let's make sure this makes sense. Most of the time the, the repayment terms on, you know, loans like a IRA or what, or a 401k, they usually want you pay it back in five years or less. The cash flow, um, that it affects you, you're likely to break even on a property if you try to do a real estate property. I mean, it has to be a really kick butt investment deal or like a really good loan to pay off <laughs> that frees up a lot of cash flow to make that worth it because the, the payments
0: are aren't great. I'm not That's, sold on yeah, using, using the life for... insurance money for, you know, single family homes or small multi families <laughs> where you're the direct investor and needing to get leverage. But it it's very intriguing to be using this money for syndications because you don't need the leverage. The the LLT yeah. that goes the syndication gets the leverage. You don't. Right. Exactly. So I think so, yeah, it's we'll amazing back... for for that syndication investment. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's one problem. Is that I, that's how I have people look at it. Is where you know, if you're looking at these life insurance, like the cash value can be just like a savings account, but the difference is rather than earning point nothing percent and then getting tax on that point nothing percent in your bank account, you're now making full percent. Like I said, like you can net cash on cash between four and five percent a year on the on the rate of return of the cash value. And there's no taxes on that. You're kicking the crap out of any savings account, but you can use it just like a savings account. And because of that borrowing feature, you can actually make more money than you would from just taking a savings account, liquidating that money, putting it to a property where you get zero tax benefit with that money. You don't, you can't write off the, the down payment that way. But now with borrowing, the cool thing is now is that you're able to still compound interest in that policy. You're still earning money. And yeah, you pay it back with a certain amount of interest, but the interest that you pay is less than the money you earn, which is way cooler than a savings account. Because savings account, you liquidate it; it's gone. In fact, one time I actually did do the same strategy with a with a savings account that you can do with life insurance. I remember I did a line of credit against my uh, my savings account for twenty five grand, and uh, so the bank gave me the money. They said, "Hey, well, at that time the credit union was paying one and a half percent. If you remember ten years ago, that was nice, but my loan rate was at four percent." And that was really low back then, you know, for a loan rate. So I said, yeah, sure. Well, here, one and a half percent is what we'll pay you, but you're paying four percent as you pay it back. So I didn't have nearly leverage with like life insurance where you're basically about, it's almost the same exact rate, but the compound is beating the simple interest I'm in paying back. So I'm actually earning money on my money when I pay it back. So even better than what I could have got, what I was able to do with the bank. Pretty
0: powerful stuff. Is this called oh, yeah. the infinite banking concept? Is that pretty much it?
1: Yeah, I mean, the infinite banking concept, I mean, it was started, that concept was started by a guy, or at least it was coined by him, Nelson Nash, who's, uh, I think he's still alive, but he's dang old now. His was more of a slow growing way of infinite banking. It was a good concept. Uh, lately, you've seen more of the infinite banking concept come out. Like some of my, my friends actually uh, are, are big YouTubers on that concept. Uh, the one thing I would say I differ on a little bit from the infinite banking concept is that although I use that strategy, uh, I'm not a big proponent of, you know, paying your bills with it. Because a lot of them say, hey, you can save money because same concept I just talked about that leverage and not putting in a checking or savings account. They could do the same thing with paying bills and everything else, paying off car loans and whatnot. But the thing is, it can be so complex that to save or make an extra, you know, 100 bucks or so of interest, you know, to me, in a year or whatever it might be, is like that's not worth all the the paper, all the paper tracking and the, the moving money around. That to me seems too complex. I like it to keep it simple, and I also understand too, and and you'll understand this as well as as you as you go along. The death benefit is actually one of the most powerful parts of the policy, not the cash value, because the death benefit when you when you know that there's guaranteed money that's going to pay to pay off your bills, pay off your taxes, pay off whatever, right? That life insurance death benefit becomes your permission slip to spend money while you're alive. So the cool thing is you can basically disinherit your kids, use up all your money because you know you have that life insurance that's going to be paying out someday. So infinite bankers, most of them will say, here we'll give you no death benefit, very little death benefit, but we'll give you lots of cash. And then there's the normal people, the normal insurance agents will say, well, hey, we won't run with the cash. It'll take you forever to build cash, but you get a death benefit at least. It'll cover your needs and then they'll say, drop it when you're, de- when you're retiring, which is dumb like, no, if I'm going to have a big estate, if I am going to create the kind of wealth I want, I know the government's going to want it. So let's create all this trusts and strategies to make sure I shelter it from taxes so my family gets it. But you know what? Even if I don't want my family to get a dime, I can still spend down all my money. I can keep mortgages on my rental properties. I can have mortgages all over the place and loans all over the place because I know my death benefit will pay off all those loans, freeing up my cash flow. So I don't have to go and focus on trying to pay off all my loans and use all my extra cash for that. I can say, you know what? I'll pay the loans as I need to pay them. I'm going to keep the cash flow and have a life. And you can do that. Or you can use the life stress to pay off all your debts. So then you, nobody has to worry about your debts and voila, you know. And, and if you have a death benefit, you can also do things like when you're older after age 62 and say so you got a home that's mostly paid off or all the way paid off, you can even do reverse mortgages. You know, that's one strategy I'm having one of my clients look at here pretty soon is because she can actually pull off and get an extra $2,000 a month from the bank by having the bank pay her And then the loan, you know, they rack up a loan tally. And then when she dies, either the bank just takes the property or her kids using her life insurance proceeds can go and pay off the mortgage and then keep the property for themselves or take the mortgage over or whatever they want to do. So if you think about it, it's not only the fact that you can create leverage by taking your money, make compound interest, of a whole life policy, and then go use that money to go and do other investments. The cool thing is because you got the death benefit – You can use your money totally differently, freeing up more cash flow, which is what you want when you're retired. And you can do things like mortgage, you know, you can do like a reverse mortgages, or you can, uh, even if you have multiple policies, you can actually sell off your policies to investors when you're older, where they'll pay you the money so that they can be the beneficiaries on your policy. So just like buying real estate, you can basically buy separate life insurance policies that you have on yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to sell one of these. My kids don't need this one. I'm going to sell it and get cash today so I have more cash to live on while I'm alive. There's so many cool things you can do when you really see the full picture of it.
0: All right, so I don't have any kids, so that's all fine and dandy. Here's here's my summary of this, of kind of like creating a Roth IRA or tax-sheltered account without having to go to that silly $6,000 a year and then it takes you 10 years to get any <laughs> substantial amount of cash, right? And Right. And then I gain money. The delta is on the investment that the life insurance is getting, whether it's like what 5% or something small like that. I'm sure we'll have to dig into a little bit more if we can leverage life insurance. Into uh, Fannie Mae loans. It sounds like we can, but mm-hmm. the thing, it sounds like it's pretty good for uh, passive syndication. And that's what oh, I'm absolutely. very excited about using this for. So I guess I, I'll i probably call you up after this and let's get started. But um, what I'd like to know is there's this mechanism we have to shove money in here and then you have to wait a period. And how quickly can I? Start drawing 25 grand out at a time maybe kind of talk to how does this work actually setting it up and what's the process
1: yeah I mean you can you can set up however you want I mean you could put in you know money monthly quarterly you know annually so if you're saying like hey I want to get this money in and then pull it back out to go do investing or whatever you want to do with it then yeah you can do like an annual lump sum throw it in and then uh, and then borrow some of the money out right up you know, right off the bat. And like I said, some companies are okay with you know, after like the first month or within the first month, we'll let you borrow it and then use it. I mean that that's a great thing. Especially the I mean the good thing is when you really get past that first year or two, I mean that's when you're pretty much getting if you structure it right, the way I'd like to have people structure it, pretty much after like the third year or so, every dollar you're putting in is just like a savings account. And so people are like, Oh, it's a big expense, you know, maybe they are putting that twenty five or fifty thousand a year, it's like well, great because that money's going right to cash. You can borrow it if you want to. <laughs> you know, it's yours. It's not being locked away. It's not uh, an expense. You're actually saving that money. Yeah, you got lots of flexibility, just depending on how you want it to be structured. And the hard thing and and the easy thing for people is that the hard thing is there's a lot of options because it's flexible. The great thing is it's flexible.
0: Say hey, you just shoved the hundred grand in there today. At what point would be the optimal time to start pulling out?
1: Uh, pulling out for retirement, you think? Or do you just mean pulling out to go invest it?
0: To go and invest.
1: Oh, I, I, I typically tell people that, you know, I like them to have keep it in there for a year just to know what's like, but there's not really an optimal time. I mean, if you've got the opportunity there, if it's within the next few months, do it. You know, um, that's the great thing about it you know, let money flow through it. You know, let the cash flow that you're earning for the properties flow through and everything else. If the money's, that's a great thing. If the money's in there, I mean, if you're stuffing in like a hundred grand, more likely than not, because the premiums have to be higher, the higher the the cost of the insurance, the more you can stuff in. Uh, More likely than not, you can backdate policies and do some things that could allow you to put in more right up front. But you're probably going to have, you know, if you put in a hundred grand, you might have only sixty or 70 grand in that first year that you can borrow from. So you just have to factor that in. But if somebody wants to do it, like I want to do my real estate property next week, okay, well let's just do it now. <laughs> Don't worry about the life insurance. Just do the property, and then the next property you can do life insurance stuff on.
0: Okay, but I, I want the benefits of this life insurance, Chris. I want to optimize. I want to optimize her.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, if you're if you're willing to wait, and I mean that's the thing. The process could take a month, two months for underwriting or whatever, just depending on how quick you are and, and, you know, make sure that you're not like in horrible health or anything like that. And yeah, usually within a month or two from someone uh, starting to learn and apply to everything, you can have a policy set up and then once the money's funded and in there and you can borrow it, you can you can typically withdraw it, but I don't recommend people do that because, you know, I want them to still earn compound interest. Otherwise, it just becomes like a normal savings account where you can just withdraw. That's where I have people borrow because if they borrow it, they can actually earn more interest um, than they would just withdrawing it.
0: I'm not too concerned about the interest a little 5%, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more concerned with, I want to put my money in, take some out, and then invest it in so that when mm. my proceeds come back from so that syndication in a few years that now I don't have to pay any taxes on that.
1: Right. And that's one nice thing too. If I mean, whether you withdraw or even borrow, the nice thing is if you borrow from a life insurance company, you don't have to pay it back like you do with like a 401k. You set the terms, you can say, you know what, I'm not going to pay it back right now. And then you don't, (laughs) Um, the only thing is, the only stipulation is when you die, that's when they get their money back. So if you have a loan out when you die, great, they just take out that money for the loan that was owed and the rest of it goes to, you know, whoever you want the money to go to. So that's where it's kind of nice. You have that ability just to borrow it and then you pay it back however you want. So if it takes a couple years, and, and I tell that with people that are doing like big deals, like if it takes, say, six months or whatever before they see the proceeds come back from that, great, well then don't pay anything. You know, you can pay. You can pay on the interest. You can pay nothing. You can just pay whatever you want, and then uh, when the money comes back in, great. You just pay it down, just like a line of credit, and you still have that money available to use again.
0: It's pretty cool. But you can only borrow what you put in. There's no negative balance.
1: No. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You can't borrow more than what's in there.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to mention on this stuff before we kind of wrap things up?
1: You know. uh, Yeah. One other thing. I think uh, just on that banking, infinite banking concept. You know, a lot of people will tell you, "Hey, can." Pay off your cars, pay off your house with it and everything like that. That's true. And this might be kind of what you were just touching on a little bit with the leverage aspect. People will say, hey, should I use my money to buy these properties? No, like if somebody's trying to buy a real estate property, I'd say great, you borrow it for the down payment, but don't pay off these investment properties with your whole life. Because, at least as of right now, the interest rates are so sticking low with the bank I would much rather pay, pay the interest at a low rate to the bank than to myself. Now, all things being equal, I mean, if, there's, if it's like the same interest rate, for example, well, maybe I'll use the whole life, but I would rather use whole life if I'm going to borrow it for things that either I can you know try to leverage and try to create money with or where banks won't give me the money. So I like to still leverage banks' money. I like to borrow from them, and I like to borrow from my policies too. So, uh, So if I can leverage the bank... And especially now where it rates are so stinking low, I leverage them like crazy. I don't, I don't max out the life insurance. I'm maxing out the banks, and then life insurance
0: second after that. Totally agree that going back to your dad's fifty thousand uh, dollar policy. I mean that was a lot of money back then. You and me buying a million dollar property today that we're living in today, and our kids thirty years from now, it's like well, Grandpa Chris is house that was a million dollars That was like super cheap. Like now it's like five, ten million dollars like an average home. Exactly. That's time to buy real estate was thirty years ago, right?
1: I mean Lane, do you remember the days when you used to think a hundred thousand dollars a year income was huge?
0: Well I still think it is. I'm pretty I'm pretty cheap, but yeah it's gonna go. <laughs> it's not what it used to be.
1: Oh no, not at all. I mean I remember I remember even like fifteen years ago thinking, man, if I was making a hundred thousand a year I'd be rich. Now I'm like, no, a hundred thousand a year is not that much. Like <laughs> I have some, I have some clients that right now they, they have a hard time even making off a hundred thousand dollars a year just because of their situation or they're in California or something, right? That's the thing. It's like, you know, even a million dollars today is not like a million dollars was 30, 40 years ago where it seemed like a lot. That's like Austin Powers, you know, where Dr. Evil, like, know, well, ransom for one million dollars. They're saying, well, that's nothing. <laughs> Do it for a billion, <laughs> right? <laughs> so
0: same kind yeah. of thing. I
1: mean, that's, that's where, yeah, you just never know. And that's why you, you can't, That's why I like to focus on cash flow because cash flow we see today, I can't always project what a million dollars or $5 million even to look like then. It's like, what about now? Like, Can we create that retirement or that cash flow stream now? That we can control, that we can see, and that's real.
0: Everyone's all freaked out about getting debt to their name, but in actuality, that low interest rate loan, that's the most valuable asset over the actual real estate yeah locking those
1: yeah and especially if inflation is really bad man a loan a mortgage is like one of the coolest things you have cuz now you have the low interest rate but now like it's locked in you don't have to go chasing i mean imagine how bad it would be if you had to save up to buy a house in cash and you're chasing after the <laughs> after the, the home prices so you're like oh i've almost got enough money i just got to save that that 250,000 okay well not save 300,000 oh now it's going to be 350 and you're chasing inflation where with a mortgage you lock it up, you lock it up, and then you're paying it down, and and not to mention you probably get some tax advantages from the interest and all that kind of stuff. I mean you get some really cool things, you know, when you leverage money. And, and remember too, a bank bank has more money than anybody, and banks leverage money like crazy. I mean they go into debt to you every day. I mean if you ever have a dollar in savings, they're in debt to you because most people say, well if I have to pay interest, well guess what? You never hear a bank call you up and say. You know what? I just I've hated that we have to pay you interest, and I hate that you're keeping it with us forever. Um, I just hate being in debt. So please take all your money out of your savings account, so I don't have to keep paying you anymore. Like you never see a bank do that. You know, banks are saying no. I'm gonna I want you to put as much money as you possibly can because I'm gonna leverage it. I'm gonna make money with it. And that's the difference between the saver mentality and what the banks have is more of a steward mentality. And that's the mentality you need to have you want to create cash flow and you actually want to retire early. That's how you do it.
0: Can I ask you an Armageddon question? (laughs) Sure. So, I mean, we all know about these negative interest rates kind of taking over Europe and Asia. I mean, Japan's kind of the front runner in that. And it just seems like Mm -hmm. that's the next bubble happening other than the student loan bubble. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever see these companies like just start defaulting one after another, you know, kind of Japan being first? I mean, it's coming, isn't it? I mean, it's going to make the housing bubble look like nothing. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of like (laughs) special drawing rights and that stuff, but what's your thoughts on all that? Are happening?
1: You know, I think it definitely can happen. And I think that's why, you know, trying to gamble on things long-term is risky. Uh, if you're trying to gamble on something being around like a 401k being around forever, we just don't know if that's your plan. You know, that's why I say like short-term is a bigger deal. And yeah, I, I definitely see, I mean, the, the, there's definitely the possibility of like Armageddon in the sense of, well, financial Armageddon where we've got You know, uh, you know, countries defaulting. I mean, we already had a lot of Europe, you know, having to get bailed out by different European countries to help them keep going. We got, you know, we had to bail ourselves out technically with taxpayers' money. I I see that there's been a lot of mismanagement and a lot of inflation or overinflated, a lot of bubbles created. And right now we're feeling great, especially in America, because in comparison to other countries, we look great. And so we haven't seen that effect of like the U.S. dollar losing tons of value or anything yet. I don't ever think the U.S. dollar will totally lose money. And that's why there's different strategies where I, I tell people, hey, let's, uh you know, for our savings, the savings that we have, let's keep a portion of our savings and buying real gold and silver, you know, and uh, not all the Bitcoin crap like that, because that can be that's risky as well. It's, it's the same thing as paper money, but it's just electronic. So there's no real value there either, right? Um, I like real things. You know, I like real assets. And so that's where I like people to buy a little bit of hard gold and silver and buying real properties because regardless of what happens in the world, properties can still be very valuable because there's utility. If you realize that you're investing, the best investments are the ones where you know how you're creating value for another person or groups of people. You're going to find out that you're going to make money much more certainly than those that don't. If you're just trying to ride waves of markets and stuff and just hope and pray that things work out, but you have no control over the situation, that to me is the riskiest thing you could possibly do, especially if bubbles start bursting. You know, that's where I like to say, no, let's stick with things that are guaranteed. You know, if you can't control it much, that's why I like savings accounts or whole life and things like that where there's contractual guarantees. And then for the things I can't guarantee, make sure I can control it as much as I can, control that risk, you know, minimize it as much as I can.
0: All right. If you're going to buy something, add value to it, like can yeah. like meeting people.
1: Dollars always follow value that you create for other people. Money doesn't come from things. Money comes from people. So you have to figure out, like, how do I create value for people in a way that they want to give me money? You know, even in real estate, that's true. A house doesn't write you a check. It's the person that rents it is the one that writes you the check.
0: We talked a pretty good game on the insurance stuff. So is this a tool in toolbox or is this something everybody should be doing that's got fifty dollars to $100,000 of extra income coming in? Yeah,
1: I'd say in a lot of cases, yeah. I mean, I, I never like to say everybody should do one thing because it, it just always depends. Like I've had people do things where I had them buy term insurance and then did other things for the money, like paying off debt or something like that. I mean, it just depends on the situation. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's a great you know, cornerstone type strategy to use that's safe. It, it gives them access to their money so they can do more things with their money. So yeah, I love it. I think it's a cool way to make, make great money.
0: Perfect. We're going to end this call. I'll say goodbye to you, but we're going to still stay on the phone so we can keep talking about my personal situation. So uh, <laughs> bye, Chris, but not really. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> you bet.